Today's episode is brought to you exclusively by the good folks at Blue Note Therapeutics. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com, and we'll keep you posted on more programs that they're going to be releasing soon. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey everyone, welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm here at headquarters in beautiful and historic Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Kellen is in Cape Elizabeth, Maine, but she's remote today. So hi, Kellen. Oh uh, yeah, I'm not getting near you yet. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah right. So she's being very safe and COVID uh, free. And when I Kellen came on the call today, and and I said something, I was like, hey, like your hair, it's your haircut. It looks really nice, like nice haircut. And she, what do you say, Kellen? I said, this is the same hair. I got, uh, I got all my hair cut off in November. So this is, you've seen this hair now at least, I don't know. For months. 17 times. So So. my perception skills are very strong today. Before I get started, I do want to have a shout out to the full wolf pack, the howling place. This is our private Facebook group for men impacted by cancer. We have nearly a thousand guys in there, which means we are about 60 away from Joe Bullock getting his tattoo or multiple tattoos. Um, and, and I just want to shout out like, wow, what a group fierce, fantastic, supportive, awesome group to be in. Uh, Adam Tisdale, I will not be eating pineapple pizza when we reach a thousand. That is not negotiable. There are some lines that must not be crossed. Okay, Adam, I, I know you're hearing this. So today we are honored to have one of our members from that group on the show. JJ Singleton. Welcome to the show, buddy. Nice to be here. You join us from from where today? From home? Yep, from home in Bethel, Canton area, North Carolina. Yeah, so the North Carolina crew is representing big time. That's it. Um, I would have guessed his accent was Boston. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's very confusing. Not as strong as some people are down here, but. I, I can understand you better than Joe, so you're, you got a leg up. Um, so, Jay, I'm going to give you a brief intro here. JJ is 33, right? Yep. 33 years old from North Carolina. He has, he's living with stage four colorectal cancer. This guy has endured 94, 94, 94 rounds of chemo, 10, I believe 10 major surgeries, yep. hundreds of IVs, scans, <laughs> blood tests. I like Steven Seagal from 1990. This guy truly is hard to kill. Um, <laughs> JJ, you're a beast and you're an inspiration it's just so great to actually see you in person. We've interacted a lot online. How was it that we got connected? Probably through Joe that we got connected, right? Yeah, it was a one day in probably around July that I came home from a treatment and I had a message from him and asked if I wanted to join. I was like, of course. <laughs> and it's been a blessing ever since. So I have different phrases to describe different parts of the cancer journey. When you're in active treatment, you're in the shit. So yeah. you, my friend, have been in the shit for a long time. Huge props to you for being a beast. Tell us how long you've been in the shit for. 
Well, let's see. I got diagnosed in September of 2015 and did the first, you know, 12 rounds of chemo. Ended in April. Thought I was done. Six weeks later, the throbbing and pain came back and then started and been in treatment ever since. So you're one of those guys that probably right out of the gate there, you're thinking, well, I'm pretty much going to be done in the next couple months. Oh, yeah. Like when I first got diagnosed, you know, I had a few days where I was like, oh, what the hell's going on? I got cancer. And then it was just like surgery, recovered, treatment, done, back to my life. Yeah. And then I got to be on, you know, unemployment for the six months I was in the chemo and stuff. And I was like, all right, right back to work. Started working out again and everything. And then one night it started doing it. I was like, well, I'm not ignoring the pain this time. Went to the doctor. And within a week, they were like, all right, you need a biopsy and go back to Duke. Damn. And then I was back in treatment within about a week or two and been going through different ones ever since. So yeah, let's just, let's just go back in time. Tell us uh, yeah. about JJBC before cancer, like a little bit about your upbringing and, and what was going on in your twenties before this uh, <laughs> gut punch of cancer. Right. You? Yeah, that is a big part of the story. So like I grew up huge sports family. My dad played football at Virginia Tech. My uncle played at North Carolina. So I played football, basketball, track, even played, I played two years in college before I had too many concussions at a small school. And yeah. so did that, got my college degree. And then I was like, went to work for my uncle owns convenience stores and uh, car washes, hardware stores down here. Yeah. So I went to work there and I worked my way up to operations manager. Awesome. And then I was, I coached for a few years, some sports. and But really the thing is like, after I quit playing sports, I got lazy, ate way too much, drank way too much beer, got fat. So then the, the start of 2015s, I was like, all right, I'm going to get my life together, get be happy, get healthy and stuff. And so, I've seen some of those photos of you from that time. Like, yeah, it's like supersized JJ, right? Oh, yeah. I, I weighed 315 pounds on January 1st of 2015. Wow. I can't, I mean, looking at you just through the Zoom right now yeah. and, you know, people online obviously can't see where, but he is not that weight nah. now. 192 <laughs> right now. 192. Yeah. That's, so you, so you got, you had some unhealthy habits going on. Oh yeah. I, I was, a uh, like the job that I did, I could pretty much do it even hungover. So I drank a lot of beer. I liked partying <laughs> way too much yep. in my twenties. Yep. yep. Like I was like, uh, none, you know, of, none of the Howling Place guys can identify with that yeah. at all, JJ. <laughs> like I, I was the person where I was like, I, I don't need to be in a relationship. I don't need to do this. I just want to go have fun with my friends. Watch the games and yeah. Got plenty of time. Yeah. College football Saturdays, I would like wake up, start drinking, drink until I passed out and ate a lot of pizza and wings in between. So, oh yeah. Yep. But yeah. But 2015, I was like, I'd finally got that operations manager job. So I didn't have to work in stores anymore. So I was like, I like my job, making more money. My uncle was like, oh, well, if you want to go work out, we, you can do it at, on your lunch break. Great. So I joined the CrossFit gym that one of my high school football coaches opened. Fell in love with it, being like competitive again, just like working out. So oh, yeah. Started eating right, not drinking nowhere near as much, lifting. And then around probably a Memorial Day of that year is the first time like I woke up and I felt like a throbbing in my side. And I was like, well, I started working out two times a day that week before because I was going to do a CrossFit competition in August that year. So I was like, all right, I just, I just pulled a muscle and I'll yeah, yeah, I'll make it through the summer and then I'll take a few weeks off after the competition. And the pain would come and go all summer. 
And, you know, I was like, I was tired. So I was like, well, I'm just working out, you know, a lot. But looking back on it, I was like, well, there's a lot of signs there that I just ignored. I look up pain. I was like, and there'll always be cancer at the bottom. I was like, nah, that ain't right. That ain't going to happen. Well, right. I mean, and why would it? You're in your 20s. You had no frame of reference that all of a sudden cancer yeah. is going to come knocking. No. And, Do you and, have family history? Like, was there people in your family that no, would have? The only people, know? like uh, my grandma's sister had colon cancer, but she was in her like 70s when it happened. So there was no history of it other than melanoma spots on from my mom's side of the family because they grew up in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> and you and Trevor share the unfortunate genetic anomaly, correct? Lynch syndrome. Yeah. That's right. Lynch brothers. Yeah. How did you learn about that? Not until I got diagnosed. Like a like it got progressively worse over the summer. Did the CrossFit competition. I was I weighed that morning before there. So I went from three fifteen to two forty. And I was like, you know, muscle lifting everything but then after that like i took a few days off and i just like my body just started crashing over the next two or three weeks i was like couldn't eat couldn't drink without my stomach hurting couldn't Mm. use the bathroom and i was like something's wrong but i was i still didn't want to go to the doctor because you know i didn't even have a regular doctor in my 20s just because i didn't like money coming out of my check to pay for health insurance absolutely yeah so i was like single person i was like i want all the money i can to go have fun go on vacation and not pay the extra but then my one night like my mom i went to my mom's house and stuff and she's like you gotta go to the doctor tomorrow you're turning gray like my skin was like getting a grayish color and everything yeah yeah so i went to the doctor september 4th that morning he walked in like did a little exam felt my stomach walked out got his his, uh i guess partner they came in they're like you gotta go to the hospital get a scan right now and then i was like okay i guess this ain't too good and so where was the disease in your body at that point when you got your first round of scans? It was in my, like the, uh, I forget which part of the colon, but it was, it yep. was in the colon. And then once they got in there, the surgeon said it with it, if it had been like a half an inch, either way, I'd have had to have a ostomy bag, but yep. it was in the like perfect spot to where they could tie the tie back together where I didn't have to have a bag at all. And then it wasn't in my lymph nodes either yet. They said they, my nodes were scarred, but it's like me becoming healthier helped my body be able to fight it over the year. Cause they said it could have been growing cause it was about a three and a half to four pound tumor. Like they took 80% of my colon out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they said it had been growing a while. I just finally started noticing it when it started causing pain and stuff. And just at that point when you had really started turning around your own health yeah. and life, really. And we're on such a good trajectory and then, and then bam, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so that early period being, how old were you at that time? 20? 27. I turned 28 in the hospital because I I went in to have surgery on September 16th and my birthday, September 25th. And I ended up staying in the hospital 16 days because of some issues with the stomach acid building up in my stomach and going everywhere. And they had to cut me back open twice in there to make sure there was no leaks and who did you lean on and what resources did you turn to like how did your brain even wrap around that part of your life uh, for probably the first two days like i just i couldn't process it like you know i went told my whole family like told my mom because she was in the hospital or in the doctor's office when they told me about it so then went and told my dad and then my grandparents and stuff and i was just kind of after that i was like numb for a day or two shock yeah yeah so, but then after that, I was like, you know, got the plan and my family's been amazing 
through the whole thing. Like my mom, my dad, my step parents, my grandparents, they all just aunt and uncle every, because I lived with one of my younger brothers and a friend at the time. And they were about, they're four or five years younger than me. So they were just getting in their good 20 times. So my uncle let me go stay in his like basement apartment during the first part of treatments and stuff. So without my friends or family, I would have been lost. Yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about your social circle. These people knew like JJ, the, the partier, yeah. and the, you know, the, the drinker and then the crossfitter and someone who, I mean, just living your life out there. And then all of a sudden you have this life-threatening illness coming at you when none of your peers, I'm sure, are going through that same thing. Yeah. So did it really, did some people rise up and others fade away? And what was that like for you? Definitely. Like there's about four or five of my friends that like rise up, been there the whole way. They like, they some come and stay with me at night, the hospital and stuff and there. But then a lot of the, just the acquaintances that I thought were good friends that just like to be around me because I had fun and, they knew if, I guess, if I started drinking, I'd buy beer and I'd buy food and all that. And they, I haven't talked to them in years. So <laughs> it's just like, you know, if I can't go out. Think of all the money you're saving without them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that generosity, though, that definitely is something that comes across. I've never, this is the first time we've spoken, but I know you through social media, which is where we get to know a lot of people. And, and I have that sense of you as being just a real generous, fun person. <laughs> um, but it does cancer definitely does bring out the best and the worst in the people that are around us. And some people you didn't think, or some people you thought you could count on, you yeah. know, maybe you, you can't. And, but then some people you never expected all of a sudden come up and are like lifesavers. Oh yeah. You. 100%. Another amazing thing that I can tell about you online is that you are so upfront about the mental health impact yeah. of cancer. And I love that you are not afraid to go there and to share the struggle because that is incredibly impactful I want to just read a couple of your recent posts. One post you had was, and these are just some of these are just super simple but so impactful. The roller coaster of feeling okay and horrible is beyond exhausting. <laughs> now that is one sentence that you captured what so many of us in cancer land yeah. are feeling. And then the next one is, some days are hard and make me wish for one day I could be free from it all, free from the stress, free from the anxiety, free from the PTSD free from the mental exhaustion, free from the pain, free from the physical effects that control life, free from the weight it places on me, free from the regret of putting this on people, mm. free from treatments, free from cancer. 24 hours of the life I knew for 27 years is all I'd ask for. Tell me about your mindset when that came out from your brain onto the, into the world. That was after a, like some treatments aren't so bad and then others just come out of nowhere and like knock me down. And that was, I probably spent two days throwing up constantly in the bathroom. And it was just, I couldn't get feeling better. Couldn't get, you know, missing what I normally felt like. And then as a lot of people know, I have a lot of like mouth issues with my tongue and lips. So it's like, I miss like food. Don't taste the same that I ever remember it tasting. Nothing really tastes good anymore. And I was just down depressed. It was like, man, what would I give to go back to all those days I took for granted. And I, the reason that it strikes me so much and, and, and I want to assure people like a ton of JJ's <laughs> stuff is super positive and inspirational, oh, yeah. but, but when he's honest too, there's also that, that downside and it takes a lot of guts to share it because mostly because of fear of judgment. When we put yeah. our, as cancer patients, if you even say things like, 
like, this is really hard or this yeah. is what it's really like. Or you admit that struggle. Sometimes people are, they don't want to hear it yeah, yeah. or they don't want to go there. But for us patients to hear it from another patient, it's like, yes, like we've, we all have those days. Oh, so yeah. I just want to thank you for putting those, the, keeping it real yeah. and putting that out there in the world. When it's high, it's high. When oh, it's yeah, low, when it's low, right? That, that's one thing too. Cause before this, I was a person, I never shared anything. Like I was kept all my emotions down, never got too high, too low, just straight. And then even the first part of the cancer journey until it came back, I was still not really broadcasting the struggles too much. I was just all motivational. Sure. But then once it came back and it really started like affecting me, I knew it was going to be this way pretty much for the rest of my life. That's why I was like, I got to be open about it. And if I can help one person, and like you said, some people don't want to hear it. And my inbox gets full sometimes of people be like, oh, you're doing this, you know, to become popular for sympathy. And I'm like, no, I could care less if anybody says that because if I have one person in my inbox saying this helped, it's all worth it. Absolutely. And when you're vulnerable like that and you show, keep it real and show the people what the whole thing is, that opens those doors to those people who need your help, JJ. And you oh, yeah. are helping so many people by doing that. And like you just said, I imagine that people contact you and, and, and I'm sure they thank you and connect with you because they feel the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even before this group that I'd get random messages about people. And then I've really started here lately doing it like you'll see people post about somebody in their family or their friends getting cancer. And I always reach out to them and like, you know, sometimes you can't ask us personally, if you know us what's going on. And we, it's hard for me to tell like my mom and them or my friends, like how I feel, but you can ask me and I can tell you kind of what they're going through. So you don't bother them as much. And I found that's helped a lot of people out. Yeah, you're you're feeling like you help take the support role that you as cancer patients feel like you sometimes are a burden to the closest ones. And so you're kind of helping mm -hmm. spread that out, it sounds like yeah. what you're trying to do. And I just remember like when I first went through those first twelve treatments, people would be like, Oh, how are you feeling? What's going on? And I just I couldn't put it into words. And I was like, I figured that's a lot of people when it first happens how it is. But after five years and ninety four treatments, I've kind of learned how to express what I'm going through. Now, as a, as a total, you know, layman to this world and only entering through Trevor and the people that we've been able to communicate with through the podcast and online, what is 94 in the realm of like, to me, that sounds like record breaking. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, you know, you guys, if you could kind of quantify that in the sense of treatment, I mean, it sounds like there's such variables from patient to patient, but to me, that sounds like yeah. an insane number. It's a lot, but like every cancer has different types of treatment. Like I'm friends yeah. with a guy from down here in Asheville and he had this uh, rare bone cancer and he's he goes through one round of treatment, but it's about five different drugs and he has to stay 15 days in the hospital. So he can say he's only been through seven rounds, but he's got like about 60 chemo infusions. So like I just it's the easiest way for me to explain. Like this is yeah. my 94th time sitting in a chair, getting pumped full of chemo meds. Yeah. It's a, that's a beautiful way to put it because there really is no way to kind of compare or to say like, who's done more, who's done like, um, the, the <laughs> yeah. only thing we yeah, can say. Yeah. I wasn't trying to create some <laughs> oh, kind no. of weird, uh, like competitive nature with your chemo treatments. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we totally get that. And no offense at all. Nah. Like that's his benchmark. Yeah. And, and it's, it is a source of pride. 
absolutely. I'm proud of him. Every time he puts one of those new um, emojis up, it's like, okay, wow. Um, The bottom line is anyone who's gone through chemo is a freaking warrior and and there's definitely no comparison. Um, But to go through it for as long that I think the timeline too, like that period of time and that many treatments, it's, um, it's a testament to, it's a testament to resilience. Thank you. It's resilience. And and it's a testament to that. So. Yeah. And it's just like a different mindset. When I first got diagnosed, I was like 12 rounds. I had a go in date, but now like coming back there, like, well, unless some huge major breakthrough that could happen, you're going to be on treatment the rest of your life. So I'm like, I have no end number. I just got to, you know, live my life, you know, pretty much three months at a time for a few treatments, net scan clear, or I, I can do it again. That's it, right? It's like these you from signpost to signpost. Yep. And, and and extend yeah, extending your life as long as you can and living it with as much quality as you can, even Definitely. though you're undergoing these these grueling treatments. Oh yeah. Like my quality right now is a lot better than it was 2017, because that was the year I couldn't eat. I didn't I went four hundred and fifty days without eating. Yeah, we got okay. So we gotta yeah. yeah, we need to pause this right here and say let's this needs this'll be like a a segment. Yeah. 450 days without eating solid food. Tell us how, how that came to be. Like when my cancer came back, like I got put on, it was a full theory and then a few other types of treatments. And like I would do four rounds, get a scan, didn't work. And then I can't remember the other names of the two other cocktail of treatments yeah. that they did. And then after that, they were like, all right. They're last, all nasty. Yeah. Your last option is Keytruda or Pembrolizumab, but it was in a clinical trial at that time. So they're like, all right, we got to go through Duke and try to get you approved for it. Cause I, all my makeup and my tumors were good for it, but they're like, since it's only a stage two trial, we got to go through all this. And while I was waiting for yes. that to happen, like the cancer, it came back in my abdominal wall and lymph nodes all over my body. And it was, it's not a solid tumor, but it just like moves around and it attached to the scar tissue around the bottom of my stomach. And as it grew, the scar tissue contracted the stomach. So the last few days before I went to the hospital, anything I would eat, I would get immediately sick. And it would just sit there till I threw up. And like I would barely be getting enough water through there to keep me hydrated. Oh, wow. So I went to the hospital and ended up being in there 25 days. And that's when they were like, at one point, they couldn't figure out how to get me fed or anything they tried feeding tubes and it just built up in my uh, intestines and they had to suck it out. And they were like, they were like, we really don't know if he's ever going to leave here and stuff. But then they were able to put a JG tube where it went in my stomach and my intestine, but not to get fed. That was just two drainage bags. So I had two big drainage bags holding up and I got fed through TPN through my port. So big bag of total whatever it's called, but TPN. Yep. And yep. so every night I would have to get hooked up about 4.30 for 15 hours of that to go into my body. And the cancer was, it went through, like, done that with my stomach, and then it affected the nerves and some stuff in my back. So I had a constant pain pump for that 450 days too. Because if it was Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. And even though the Keytruda started working, it wasn't, doing anything to the scar tissue and the around the stomach and they couldn't go in and just cut it out before it shrank because there were so many major v- blood vessels and veins and arteries down there. Yeah. And so finally after 450 days, I was able to go to like a surgeon and he's like, all right, we can do this. We'll have to 
I forget what all he did, but he went in there, cut me up a lot, oh, man. reattached some stuff. And that was another long stay because he had to go back in there because the incision didn't heal right. And like one night it just like kind of popped open and had to have a wound back afterwards. But I started eating again. So, but it took me a while. I, yeah. To so I think I vaguely remember um, you had like a flashback post of like your first of tasting salt or something yeah, like your well, first food after that. When I first started eating again, like everything, any drink or anything, all I could taste was salt. Cause for that 450 <laughs> days, like I would America, like I would, <laughs> I would drink, but it would just to wet my mouth. Cause as soon as I would drink something, it would come out in the drainage bags and I couldn't eat any solid food because it could, stop up the drainage bags and then it would just be in my stomach and if i threw up when i had those drainage Everything bags is- in there that would have been really bad but so it's pretty much i spent about 20 hours a day for 14 months pretty much in bed because like i had the drainage bags a pain pump and for 15 hours a day i had the huge backpack with tpn so dude you are a freaking miracle <laughs> like to, to sit here and talk to you today and see you on this on zoom and and to see your smile after gone through and not only that but what you continue to go through you posted some photos like you talk about your mouth and your tongue you posted yeah. a photo of your tongue that oh, yeah. just made everyone in the wolfpack <laughs> cringe because of the sore like it's not even um it's not even recognizable as a tongue yeah so there's just huge cracks through, all over it yeah so we talk about kfg in the group so keep oh, fucking yeah. going right that's it 450 days without food, all these surgeries, the mouth stuff, everything. I mean, we can't even touch the surface of all the things that you've endured. What are the tools and resources that have allowed you or that you've utilized to KFG on this journey? Well, during that 400, that is where I really, like I was probably the lowest I've ever been just because like at the start of it, there was nothing to do. I just sat in there, watched everybody else's life go on. And I was like depressed, didn't want to get out of bed anymore. And that's when I started finding, like, like I've always been a big nerd. Like, love Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Harry Potter. But that's where I fell in love with, like, Star Wars. I was like, I, if I can find a movie, TV show, read a book, that I can just escape into that world for a few hours a day. Even, like, when the movies open back up, I go to the movies at least once a week or after doctor appointments or something. Just shut everything nice. off to escape. That and then the big other thing, too, is, like, you know, I'm a huge sports fan huge Virginia Tech fan. And like my dad, like when I was in the hospital and they didn't think I was going to leave and stuff, and they were like, all right, if you can get healthy enough, we'll get season tickets to football and stuff there. So we did that two years before COVID. And then just like being on Twitter and stuff there, I've got to know a lot of like fans there and the coaches have reached out. So it's just another, those seven trips a year up to there is just another thing I can look forward to. And like, it takes me through the whole year. Cause I was like, I got to get my energy up to walk that three quarters of a mile from our car to the stadium and not take a nap in the middle of the game. Man, those games are hard enough for people <laughs> in their best health. Oh, yeah. like, to, <laughs> so. Well, that's like, you can tell, like, as soon as we get back to the car afterwards, like we don't <laughs> even make it to the interstate and I'm like asleep and my dad's got to drive all the way to the hotel or home afterwards alone pretty much. But, and then I don't move for about half a week after that. I'm just laying on the couch, but it's worth it just because when I'm there, I'm like, all right, this is how I remember my life being having fun at a football game, watching the things that I love. Yeah. I mean, and those are two great tools you just mentioned. Yeah. Number one, just those, those activities that you look forward to and, and bring you such joy. And, and then number two, the immersion of distracting yourself and going into yeah. other, you know, immersive worlds 
Like that's fantastic. I, I, and I hate it. Some people like criticize like that kind of thing, like, uh, like um, as being <laughs> passive. I'm like, damn, like if as cancer patients, if we didn't have those things to take us away, forget it. Well, that's, um, that's why I say like, and I, I love 10 a.m. movies when the movie theaters are open because I can get my doctor's appointment at eight o'clock. It's about 10 miles from the movie theater. I go there and I don't have to think of whatever they just told me. Good, bad. It just, I don't have to think of cancer. Usually I'm in the theater alone and I can just, you know, have my Coke and popcorn and enjoy. Yeah. I think that that mechanism becomes so crucial to not just cancer patients, but everybody finding their thing yeah. and then not feeling guilty about what the thing is. Definitely. You know, like, Oh yeah. You know, my sister is, has a very hard job. She works in a hospital. She's a doctor and she's, she loves reality television. Oh, yeah. Like, loves it. And, and she is such an intelligent woman, and I think she gets kind of, you know, te- teased about it. But it's like, I get yeah. it. Like, why would she want to watch shows that are really just yeah. deep? Because she's like, I, no, I don't want to watch that stuff right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, right. So I want to read this post because I, I read a post of you kind of showing your, your vulnerable side around, like, this sucks. <laughs> but here's a post around rallying us. Chemo round 94, been a tough few weeks, but still here, still going. Never quit, never stop, never take a day for granted. Yeah, never be ashamed of being you. Defy the odds and the expectations. Break the mold and make history and leave your mark. Ooh, I get chills when I read that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about a day like that when you're feeling like, I mean, that's the kind of post that fires me up as a fellow cancer fighter. Last treatment while I was sitting in that chair and stuff, and I was just... I have like a little group that they're there a lot of the same times I'm in with treatment and one or two of them had got to ring the bell that same day. So they, they're done. Don't have to see them anymore. And I know there's controversy. Some people love the bell. Some people hate it. I love hearing people that I've been there and seen go through it, ring it. So it just gave me energy. And I was like, love to see that. I hope to never see you in this chair again. Like I hope that, you know, I'll get a whole new, group of people. And I was like, I hope y'all, come yeah. for, you know, for the next five years, every six months you get there and you're done and never have to worry about it again. So seeing that kind of stuff just gives me energy and be like, all right, well, there's hope for other people. And it just made me, you know, kind of feel motivational. <laughs> yeah, man. I feel the same way too. Like when I see someone ring it, I'm like, heck yeah. Yeah. Get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that last line really strikes me, you know, break the mold and make, make history and leave your mark. What is it that you want people to say like after you're gone or what's the mark that you hope you're creating now? Just to, you know, kind of take away from the portray of what people think cancer is. Cause like before I got cancer, all I could, you know, all I only thing I had to do is what I've seen in movies, TV shows, people talk about. And, you know, I was like, all I know about cancer is like chemo sucks. You lose your hair and you throw up. And yep. Half of that didn't even happen to me. Didn't lose my hair, but I threw up a lot and I felt bad. (laughs) But I just want to take away that there's a lot more layers to it and a lot to do with the mental health because I was one of the people that, you know, didn't want to share my, the like, depression or the sadness that I came because, you know, grew up, oh, man, it's supposed to be tough, not push to show that vulnerable side. And that's why I really, that and just help as many people as I can, especially the younger people going through cancer because, I get it. And like the younger they are, they can go through it where you have your family, but like I was single, so I don't have a significant other or kids or anything. So you feel a little bit alone because a lot of people, even the younger crowd has a family 
you know, has their own family, I guess to say. Yep. And I was like, just kind of working with that group and then anybody else, because I was like, I've been through all the side effects you can imagine. So it's more, I just want to, you know, bring acknowledgement to all the layers of cancer and help as many people as I can and give some people motivation. You are absolutely achieving that. And I think that's beautifully said, you know, that there's more to the cancer life than what people see on TV or in the movies and you're, you're showing what it is. There's two things I want to bring up that have been pretty cool with you recently. A couple of very cool things. Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon on the tonight show asks for submissions uh, online of hashtag. I'm the goat of, uh, and all of a sudden, um, we see that JJ Singleton is on the tonight show. Um, and that tell, tell us about what your hashtag was and, and what that was all about. Uh, I was laying on the couch one day and I just, I followed Jimmy Fallon cause I, I've liked his show forever and stuff. And I just, I seen that pop up and I was like, well, I just went through a chemo treatment. So let's just, I was like, you don't see many people above 94. So I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> Didn't think of another thing about it. Put the picture there of my latest one and stuff. And on Twitter, I have my notifications set off unless I follow the people. So I had no idea if people started liking it and sharing it and, that night I was about to fall asleep and my phone starts vibrating on my little nightstand. I was like, what happened? Somebody in my family got in trouble or got hurt or something. <laughs> then I look up and there's like 50 messages. Oh, I just seen you on the, I was like, Oh, well, that's cool. You were just on the tonight show. <laughs> yeah. Cause the hashtag was, I'm the goat, I am of, the goat of chemotherapy therapy. treatments, 93 of them and still kicking ass. Yeah. Yep. And Jimmy read it and then put your, had your photo up there. Of yeah. You you know, hooked up to your oh, yeah. chemo. So yeah. yeah so what was I it was, like for you to, to see that? Like I got so many people just message me and stuff and, you know, doing encouragement. And like, I still get notifications on the, like a uh, YouTube, ch- like his YouTube channel. And like somebody will mention me. Cause I like, I comment on it and said, thank you for mentioning me and stuff. And I still get notifications about random people just coming and saying, Oh, way to go. We're with you and stuff. So it was just cool to awesome. see how far it reached. And and I guess just one of the things I love about it, well, not only that it's JJ, but <laughs> that you don't, you don't see that many cancer. You don't see that many real cancer patients on TV in yeah. any context. No. <laughs> like sometimes you see fictionalized, but like there's not much yeah. real portrayal. So that was cool. The second thing is actually happening this week. You and several other uh, colorectal cancer patients have been paired with PGA tour players for the Cologuard Classic in Tucson. This so the Cologuard Classic is a PGA Tour event sponsored by Cologuard um, which does testing around um, CRC and uh, and tell us about that you you're paired with an absolute legend also oh, a, a fellow cancer fighter John Daly. I I seen the post somebody asked and I was like, "Well, sure, you know, I'll go and if I get chose, awesome. If not, it's for a good cause." And then they gave me the form to fill out and about my story and stuff. And then earlier this week or last week, they said I was paired with John Daly. And I was like, well, that's awesome. Cause I've always loved John Daly. <laughs> he's like that one person that like, I like golf a lot and stuff, but I was like, he's always the person I was like, if I could play with somebody, it'd be him. That's the so, guy. Oh yeah. yeah for sure. John just, Daly is the guy. So they basically, what it is, is it, it matches a pro with a colorectal cancer patient. And then that pro, I think he's going to, he's going to wear, something like recognizing you yeah like a blue ribbon with my name on it i think and then he's going to take a picture with something i can't remember and then that, i'll get that sent to me is there a cardboard cutout of you there no not <laughs> me i, I think oh, probably just yeah. a sign that says you know a cancer survivor or patient he's going to sign it and 
And then, like, if he gets lucky enough to, you know, get interviewed and they ask him about who he's representing, he has, like, a card with, like, my story and stuff on there. <laughs> it's really cool. And and there's multiple people. Um, I know at least a couple other guys from the Howling Place who are paired with yeah. pros. I think it's fantastic because that is um, it's a big-time event. And to have oh, yeah. those pros. Anything to get acknowledgement out there and awareness is I'm all for. Definitely. I mean, the only other golfer that I'm sure you and I would be loved to pair with is Happy Gilmore. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. he's a fictional character. Yeah, but, but I do love me some Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the gauntlet of random questions, I'll, I'll ask you one question about sports. Really put you on the spot. <laughs> if you have to pick one, or maybe you can pick three of your Virginia Tech sports, all-time sports heroes. Oh, we're getting really specific. Yeah. Like not just any sports hero, but just Virginia Tech. Oh no. Right. This is, this oh, no. Is good. So anyone who anyone who follows JJ knows that he is a hokey fanatic. I love him. But if I had to pick three people, it'd be Bruce Smith, because my dad's first two years there, he had to he was on the scout team offensive line and had to try to guard him, block him, which never happened. Oh my god, forget he, that. Yeah. <laughs> and then definitely Michael Vick, because like that's when I really started loving football when he was at Virginia Tech. And that's like the first games yep. I remember watching on TV with my grandparents and my dad was when he was there. Oh, that's great. And then yeah. a basketball player, he just graduated a few years ago named Justin Robinson. Sure. And uh he's actually He's a uh, with the Wizards or the organization playing in the G League right now. And he even sent me a shirt a few months ago that I wore during one chemo treatment. That little production over hot. It's a black shirt that he's he was probably one of my favorite basketball players of the last probably 10, 15 years. So I, love I do it. those I, three. I, I, I love, you know, I love watching or seeing your po- I don't know anything <laughs> about Virginia Tech. <laughs> but I love watching your posts about it because it like when you see someone that invested and fired up about it, it's like you'll get yeah. into little Twitter battles with people like you like haters. The trolls will come after you. Oh, and yeah. You'll be you'll have to shut them down. Got to. All right. It is time. The gauntlet of random questions. Are you ready? We'll try. Okay. JJ has been. <laughs> he looks nervous. He looks really nervous. <laughs> yeah. JJ has been through some heavy, heavy stuff over the past several years. So we're lightening it up and going with totally random non-cancer questions. All right. UFOs and aliens are among us. Yes or no? No. I think <laughs> he's our a, first no on that. Not he's among a definitive us, no. They're out there, but not here. Oh, okay. All right. Because why would they want to come here? <laughs> on that note, um, what place in the U.S. would you most like to visit that you have never been to before? Oh, wow. Uh, probably the kind of Northwest, like Seattle around that area. All right, cool. We have some Howling Place guys who I'm sure would, uh, you know, maybe post pandemic, we can get you out yeah. there. Um, <laughs> do you have a celebrity crush? You watch a lot of movies. You're They go through stages. Like I remember the ones from childhood, <laughs> like Topanga. You can share multiple then. Topanga on Boy Meets World was the first one <laughs> ever. Like that's probably the biggest crush yes. ever. Topanga. <laughs> And then probably right now, uh, probably be Jennifer Lawrence. He's I, younger than us, so this is appropriate yeah. age. <laughs> I like the Hunger Games I mean, too because it was filmed in Western North Carolina. So you know, can't go wrong with Katniss. That's a great yeah. choice. If you could be any athlete for one event, like ever, this could be the past, whatever. Oh. Just one athlete for one event. Who would you be? Uh, Usain Bolt during the hundred. During the either 2008 or 2012 Olympics, just to 
be that fast and pull up and still break the world records in the most watched race. That would dude. Yeah. Spot on. I remember, I remember watching that first one. He's running so fast. I, I was sitting with my kids and I remember standing up. Like there's a couple sports of moments where you stand up. Like when Vince Carter did that reverse yeah. windmill for the first time dunk, yeah. like I stood up when Usain Bolt, like <laughs> ran away from everyone in the Olympics. I stood yeah. up and my kids are like, why are you standing up? I was like, cause I am Just, witnessing greatness. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're like, no, cause I'm, I'm this fast. I'm going to run with him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. What's the worst style choice you've ever made? Oh, this could be a haircut. So this could be a clothing. This could be a sneakers. I mean, oh, when I was younger, I did a, there was a lot of bowl cuts and like we, we didn't have too much money. So there's pictures of I have like the same color shirt and shorts on. And then probably in high school, I was the guy that wore shorts every day. Like I hated wearing pants. So I, it could be snowing outside and I'd wear shorts and shorts and a hoodie. That was probably, I went, I went away from fashion for, well, now I just wear pajama pants most of the time but have an excuse now that's and you're speaking for all americans right now jj yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know that's not even a kid that's just that's just everybody at the yeah. moment i haven't worn things without elastic waistbands oh. at least a, a year <laughs> why and why would we uh so you went with the it was the bowl cuts over the mullet yeah i was mullets are popular down here but never for me i i'm not a i don't fit into the, a lot of the country aspects that people think of like the camp don't know how to work on cars not really not a fan of hunting or fishing love eating what they catch or kill but i, I don't want to go sit out there and do that and i was more of i'm i'm gonna go play sports or video games and watch movies and let all the other people you know have the mullet on and the carhartt pants and go out there in 10 degree weather and, i love it you're so. a complex individual which is what drew me to you initially <laughs> yeah. um so, last one. The zombie apocalypse is upon us, and only J.J. Singleton can save the world. What is your go-to weapon? Oh. Huh. That's He's a good like, question. There's so many <laughs> rotating through his head right now. <laughs> Probably find some way to get down to a military base and just get a tank. That is the second tank answer in recent yeah. days. <laughs> I love this. This is good. Um, and I will remind Carol Motika again that she answered bug spray, which is an all-time classic and a completely yeah. ineffective way to kill zombies unless we don't know something about them. <laughs> she might just know something that you don't, you know, like know, but I also like the tank because the people who have said tank, you can see that they're also thinking of a potential place to sleep right. or right. hang out. If all like th- that it's not just a weapon. And that a really it's a- good point. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of mountains and little side like old logging roads up here so I could get the tank and go up there and I just never have to see people again and never get even try to get bit god for someone who was nervous about the gauntlet you pretty much crushed it right there um jj uh put on my serious hat for a second man i just got much so much respect and love for you i appreciate you and everything you're doing to raise awareness and to share your journey and to inspire others and to show people what it's really like you are a role model and and when i started the whole man up to cancer movement role models are what I was looking for to show, you know, to show other men that it's okay to be complex and to have all these different feelings and to, to, and to share about their lives and to not have to go through it alone. So you are a shining example of that. And I appreciate you coming on the show and spending time with us. I appreciate it too. And I love being part of the group. Like it's helped so much and I couldn't imagine not being part of it now. Just helps in more ways than I could even like express with words. Just, 
Thank you. And we're all lucky to have you there. So we'll see you in the group. And, um, and I hope to have you back in the future, man. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the man up to cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Big thanks again to Blue Note Therapeutics for sponsoring today's podcast. Blue Note creates digital therapeutics to help cancer patients cope with the emotional distress of our disease. Check out their premier product, COVID Cancer Care, at covidcancercare.com.